to the glory in our stories. On this episode, we'll be speaking with Latasha Lewis. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to episode 46 of the glory in our stories. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Miss Latasha Lewis, uh, creator and owner of Verbatim and LNL and Company. Is that right? And she is a graphic designer, or uh, I have a lot of. I figured that <laughs> a lot. Of a lot of, yes, titles. a lot of. But one of them is graphic designer. She wears a lot of hats, yeah. and um, that's one of maybe couple of hundred from what I understand <laughs> she uh Latasha makes has been making more moves than Kyrie Irving and I mean <laughs> a lot um but I always start each episode by explaining how I met the person that I'm interviewing uh last year we were for those of you who are familiar with Augusta area you've probably been hearing a little buzz about create Augusta uh this capital C-R-E and the number eight uh, we've had two conferences so far. It's basically a program geared towards helping local um, performing artists maximize their potential. And just the general idea of helping, helping you get, helping an artist get to the next step. And Latasha offered um, consultation. Um, she's very sharp. And very straightforward. <laughs> and that's one thing that we really admired uh, about her when she was helping us out last year. And I, honestly, if it wasn't for her, we wouldn't have had the um, the projection that we had uh, moving forward. And it gave us a lot of ideas, allowed us to view what we were doing differently, having more eyes than two, um, and having more and different perspectives on on the table allowed us to um, see from certain angles that we probably would have never considered. And that's, that's a part of her character, is allowing people to see something that they probably didn't before. And it's not in need of correction, but to just make you informed. And that's one thing I've learned about her. She wants people to be informed because you don't know what you don't know. I, I heard Kevin Hart quote that on The Breakfast Club, and he kept saying that and he was because of, of the thing that he's going through now. And um, he found himself having to be severely politically correct and addressing certain people. Yeah. So, um, but another thing I found out that we had in common was that we both like um, dear white people. Absolutely. <laughs> which has been a, it's been a phenomenal series. I've learned so much from that show. Yeah. And I didn't know that was a reality. I've heard of it, but I didn't know. I've never seen anybody in the thick of it. Okay. You okay. know? Yeah. And hearing that from different perspectives, from different types of, um, <laughs> for lack of a better terms, of being different types of black people and, yeah. and colorism, you know, mm -hmm. I've heard of it, but to actually see it in 2018. Really? You surprised yeah. by that? Yeah, because I didn't know it was that severe. Like, from I've heard of it from a surface level. Yeah. But the way that they actually put it in a way that you can actually see how people operate daily. Yeah, that's true. Oh, and especially in a college setting when yeah. like all of it, it's just so many so much stuff that's so important to the culture. Yeah. 
and stuff that a lot of I other guess people. I'm, I'm more conscious of it because I'm affected by it. I think on a daily yeah. basis, and that makes a difference. <laughs> and we need people to be open about that. Yeah. Because I may say something, and you're like, "But that's not how I see it, or that's not how right, I experienced right, right. it." Yeah, that's very true. Start leading the conversation. No, no. <laughs> but, but that's just funny because, um, for me personally, I think. I can relate to that show so much. Um, I come from a household with two African-American parents, Mm -hmm. um, but my father's mother is uh, mixed. And so that played a role in how I look. And so I grew up in a household with darker parents, darker Mm -hmm. siblings, but I'm not (laughs) by (laughs) any means. Um, And so that kind of always played a role in my life. Um, I always feeling like, the outsider yeah from that perspective but then going into different spaces and feeling like the person with the upper hand mm-hmm. um so yeah I, like that doesn't <laughs> separate from you know any of my my views like that's always been a part of of life yeah. <laughs> it's always been i can remember um i probably was about 10 9 or 10 years old and uh, my parents went out of town and i was home with my siblings and at this point, I hadn't accepted, like, this is just who I am. Um, I'm, I'm of lighter skin. Like, it's not going to get any darker. <laughs> and uh, I remember going into my mother's room, um, who really didn't wear a whole lot of makeup, but she kept a lot of stuff, um, sometimes just for, like, special occasion type things. Mm-hmm. And I remember going into her makeup bag, pulling out her foundation, and literally covering my face, my neck, my hands, and her foundation because I wanted to know what it was like to have darker skin. Wow. And um, I didn't even realize, like, how much colorism affected me as a kid until going back and talking about that with my siblings, like, because they remember mm-hmm. me doing that. And then it, to them it was funny. Um, but then, like, in hindsight, it was just like, wow, like, that is so many layers to who you are as a person and how things around you really affect you yeah. and, and kind of how that thing kind of plays out over time. And like, I, I probably didn't address it um, until I was in college. And that, that happened when I was about nine or 10. Mm-hmm. So not until college did I like really address the issues that I had with that. Yeah. But it, yeah, I, it's crazy that some, for someone else, their perspective would be that it's something that they, you know, they're kind of ignorant of. Mm-hmm. When that's like that was my life, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's interesting. And it's funny because you saying that was your life, but for somebody like me, it's uh, it's a nuance. You yeah. know, I'm like, wow, this is I didn't I didn't know I didn't see it this way. Yeah. But for somebody on from your end, you're like, yo, I've I've actually lived this. Yeah. And it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And um, so when you actually see these experiences with these characters, you're like, yo, I totally relate. And, um, That's a good show. If it you really haven't is. watched that show, you need to watch that it show. It is a huge eye-opener. Yeah, it is. Um, but in, in reference to what you, how you grew up, were you actually, did you grow up here in Augusta? Or? Okay, so I was born in Lonsdale, Germany. Uh, both of my parents were in the military, they're both Army. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they actually, they have a beautiful love story. I'm not going to get into that, but they have a beautiful <laughs> love story. And um, they... Uh, both came from opposite 
um, places. My mom is from Memphis, North Memphis, Tennessee. My father is from Bradenton, Florida, which is like that central Florida area. Mm-hmm. And uh, they both went off into the military. Um, they were both shipped from Fort Gordon out overseas. They met each other there. They gave birth to me. Um, <laughs> and so I grew up there for a couple of years, and then we moved back to the States. Initially, we moved to Florida, lived there for a couple of years, and then mm-hmm. we came to Augusta. We were at Fort Gordon, Grovetown for a while. Um, and then they got out of the military and we moved off base. Um, but yeah, I, I consider myself from Augusta. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, even though I had a lot of influence from Florida, a lot of influence. Um, I spent a lot of my summers there. My father would be uh, sent. Um, he did um, some time and he went back to Germany um, for I think like 18 months. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he was in Hawaii and a couple other places. And so my mom at the time was acting as a single parent. Yeah. So she would send us to go stay with family in Florida. We were there with them. We would go to Memphis, spend summers and stuff like that there to give her some time off mm-hmm. um, from dealing with four kids at home by herself. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. So I, I, I pretty much grew up here in Augusta. Um, all of my... Well, produ- I, most of my time was spent here, mm-hmm. um, but I feel like my experiences come from like all over. Yeah, like, all of that kind of influence who I am. And how- what would have determined whether or not you all would have followed your dad? Like, uh, so Augusta was easy because they they ultimately chose to stay here in Augusta because it was eight hours from both of their hometowns. Okay. Um. So it was like the the middle ground, the great yeah. compromise is what we call it at home. <laughs> it was a great compromise because growing up, we always wanted to live in Florida. We were like, let's go back to Florida. But yeah. my dad was like, I don't want to live there. I don't want to be around that close to family. Like, let's <laughs> stay in Georgia. And my mom was like, we're definitely not going to North Memphis. So, uh, yeah. it, so it was like we stayed here because then she didn't feel so alone because if she needed to send us to family and stuff like that, mm-hmm. we could get to them. And it wasn't, you know, a strain on her. Yeah. Um, because we could hop in the car, and we did many a times hop in the car and just drive to Memphis or drive to Bradenton. So, um, I guess that was kind of more so the deciding factor why we she chose to stay in Augusta. Um, and then I knew she didn't want us to have to do all the moving around that most military kids have to yeah. do. We did that in the younger years, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but she wanted more stability for us. Yeah. Um, and so. That's kind of why she chose, like, I'll just get out of the military, stay home. And for a while, she was a stay-at-home mom. She worked every now and then, but at home, so at least for the younger years of my life. So, yeah. So what what did you do with most of your, as a child, like, what, what was fun for you? Okay, so I had the best childhood ever. <laughs> <laughs> I had the absolute, like, my childhood was absolutely amazing. And a lot of times, like, my siblings and I will sit around and talk about our childhood because it was awesome mm-hmm. um so um just to speak to my parents so my mom is extremely creative mm-hmm. my dad is like super practical logical yeah. like straightforward um and so with that type of balance growing up in the house um that affected me tremendously um but with just my mom growing up with a um uh just her being in the house sometimes mm-hmm. it was really cool because she made sure that she really built a home that cultivated our imaginations and allowed us to be creative and explore and do all these amazing things. So I can remember, you know, waking up on a Saturday morning and 
you know, coming out of my room and walking down the hallway and into the kitchen and the kitchen be transformed into a restaurant. And for that day, we were cooking. She was letting us cook breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We had menus made. We were like, wow. she was teaching us how to, um, you know, count money and stuff like that, mm-hmm. exchanging money for, you know, buying these services and these <laughs> products. Like, she, she would do that. Like, you would wake up and she would, like, the living room would be a huge tent that she's built and we would be camping yeah. and, like, all kinds of stuff. She would do stuff like that for us. So it was, it was super magical. Um, I, I can't remember a time where I ever felt like um, I couldn't be creative at home or like I, I wasn't, there were like no boundaries for it, mm-hmm. um, which is cool because when I meet, um, you know, met people along the way and a lot of people feel like they've had boundaries with where they could be creative, mm-hmm. but I had the opportunity to do it at home. Um, my mom, she did a lot of stuff at church growing up. Both of my parents were like uh, youth ministers. So like we had the opportunity to be creative at church and then I went to Davidson. So like I had the opportunity to be creative at school. So it was like, it was no boundaries placed on me and I could always operate in this realm. And it, it just, it kind of shaped me Mm -hmm. and how I think and how I I'm expressive in all areas of my life. So yeah, I had an amazing childhood, (laughs) but then the flip side of it too, is that I feel like, um, at an early age, I dealt with a lot of pain. Yeah. So um, we have a huge family. My mother is the youngest of nine. Wow. And my dad is closer to the middle of ten. Um, and so they have, there's five children that my parents have. I'm the middle mm-hmm. of the five. Um, but then their siblings have tons of kids. So we have a huge family on both sides. And we're extremely close. Yeah. So growing up, there would be a lot of people, like a lot of death and like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't like, you know, if a cousin passed, it wasn't like, oh, that's just your cousin. It was like, that's a sister or brother. Yeah. And so experiencing that a lot. And then my grandparents, um, my uh, both of my grandfathers passed when I was younger. They both passed the same year. Uh, I was 13. Well, yeah, I was 13 when they both passed. Mm -hmm. Uh, My grandmother passed when I was 10. but yeah, so like, it it was just like back to back to back to back death. And then my parents come from these cities that are not the best cities. <laughs> so like, you know, it was a lot of gun violence stuff that was related yeah. to that. And like, it was always tragic, like extreme, unexpected types of things that, that happen. And so um, growing up around that, it's like you... I mean, already in your mind growing up with military parents, you, you don't get attached to things. You kind of disconnect yourself That's because what I you, hear. Don't, yeah. you don't want to experience constant loss mm-hmm. and like recreating things yeah. for yourself. So that's already one aspect. But then to constantly deal with a lot of death, mm-hmm. um, you just you have to learn how to like press through really early and like how to um, how to try to deal with your emotions, but like not let them continue in a way where you can't move forward. So, mm-hmm. like, you suppress a lot of things as a way to cope. Um, and then you you have people to talk to, but it's just family. Because you, growing up with military family, and I, a lot of people probably can attest to this, is that if you have military parents, they probably are in cities that they're, they don't have a lot of friends or mm-hmm. family. So, it's just you. You all you got kind yeah. of thing. So, like, when things happen, it's just you and your family. And you kind of, you build a really close net like that but then it can also be really dangerous over time because if you don't have them to talk to then who can you talk to yeah and so 
uh, my childhood because of that was I think I was really I, I learned a lot of things that were a blessing to learn at a young age mm-hmm. uh, especially with dealing with grieving and stuff like that but um, but yeah it was it was it had ups and downs but I remember it as being extremely magical <laughs> <laughs> and adventurous and full of curiosity and wonder and like it was just I had a great childhood so. and the, the funny thing you said it dead on as I was thinking it when you were young it seems like your imagination and your ability to be creative was boundless and then when you started branching out even more you realized there still weren't any limitations and if they were they weren't something that you couldn't get through and now as an adult your business reflects that like if there's any limitations I probably created it but I'm not used to having boundaries, but not boundaries in a sense like nobody has ever told me no, as if no is not a definite no for me. Right. Because you had that opportunity. Yeah. And I honestly can relate to that because when I was young, I was the only boy. So my sisters didn't want to wait for me. So I had to create my own world. Yeah. And yeah. with that, it was it was fun. And of course, for them, it was probably different because they were older and things were and it's funny how you said you enjoyed your childhood but that was the flip side to that yeah and it usually always is yeah and I, <laughs> it always is but it balances out and it creates you creates the person that you are now and i find it very ironic that you said your mom was this way and your dad was this but this is what we see now yeah. which is the evidence of that yeah. It's like I'm definitely a combination of the better sides. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I think it's cool, too, because most times you don't get a person who is creative but understands business or vice versa. It's yeah. always one or the other kind of thing, and mm-hmm. they, they don't really understand both. But because of that nice balance I had, like my dad always made it, okay, like you, you can have all those ideas, but you got to will it back to reality. So, yeah. like, I learned really young, too, how to have creative ideas and and you know think beyond limitations but at the same time how to reverse engineer it back and make it into real steps yeah. that I could pursue so I don't know I'm really thankful for that because I, <laughs> I didn't realize until I got older really that that other people weren't really like that yeah so yeah it's funny because the analogy I thought about was how you have balloons in a thunderstorm and you're like wanting to release the balloons but at the same time you're like you know if you let the balloon get too high then you won't be able to reach it and then I'm, and you never know if it might pop right. so don't it's nice to float but at the same time you need to come back down That's a good um, and that was one thing that you did a lot with <laughs> Wait, create a gust <laughs> because we would just go on a tangent of ideas and like that's fine y'all but y'all need to we need to come come back yeah, you gotta and make have it a, practical yeah um and but so, then it, it it's funny too because um one of the things that i've learned about myself as well is that because i remember someone saying you're very optimistic and i i thought about that and i was like you know what i can be optimistic but i don't think that's what it is ultimately mm-hmm. i think it's a little bit deeper than that and i the reason why i say that is because um i'll give you like a um analogy so like if i were to take an apple and I were to slice it in half and show you the insides of the apple most people would tell you that what they saw were seeds right Mm -hmm. but I don't see things that way I'd tell you that that's an orchard inside and it's because I see long term versus and what things can be and the possibilities of things 
versus what they are right now, which is, it can be a very dangerous <laughs> line to, to travel. But, um, but I think it's more like, I, I just, I think it's more than optimism. I think it's just a different set of eyes to have, which is important because it creates a balance, especially when you're in, um, you know, environments like how we were working together for Create Augusta and you had all these different types of personalities. It has to be someone there who can kind of cultivate the ideas and, and make people feel the freedom of sharing. Yeah. But at the same time, be able to say, hey, that's a great idea and we can do that. Mm-hmm. But let's start with how we get there. Yeah. Um, and so, I don't know, I think, yeah, it's... It's interesting. <laughs> the more and more I learn about myself, the more I'm just like, I'm, because I always thought growing up that I was weird, but it's like, the more I get older, I'm like, okay, but I'm needed, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because being, my sister said it perfectly, um, being weird is the new cool nowadays yeah. because back then it wasn't practical to be weird, but all those skills that we had when we were younger and the skills that we were acquiring they make sense now because mm-hmm. like dang why do i feel this way why do, why am i able to do this and do that but when you get to that point where you can actually use them like yeah. now it makes sense yeah um so in reference to that what what uh inspired you to start your own business so i never really set out to start a business um i didn't i i've always i've always set out to solve problems mm-hmm and in solving problems, business evolved. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I said that is because I can, uh, like, anything that I've ever done has been me taking my skills and applying them to how I can serve people and make their life better. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you an example. So, like, the first business I ever started was um, I had my own home library. Okay. I was probably about eight. Um, I spent a whole summer um, collecting books. I love to read, um, and I've always loved to read. And um, because of that, my mom, on Saturday, she would take me to the Goodwill, and she'd give me like a couple of dollars and let me pick out as many books as I could buy with whatever money she gave me. And then I'd take the books home, I'd clean them up, and then I would um, I would label them. And I kept like a, a listing of all of the books that I had. And so it got so serious that my dad was like, well, let me get you a word processor so you can like really keep up with everything. Yeah. And so I started, I had this word processor <laughs> and I'd be, you know, Saturday night typing up all of this. And, and I, I, I learned how to type this way, which is crazy, but I would be typing up all of this stuff and saying, okay, I have all of these different books. And then the book collection got so big that my mom cleared out the utility room. Mm. And she, you know, she put all these bookshelves in and it let me store my books there. And so over the summer, I was doing this because over the summer, there was no way to get to a library. Yeah. The neighborhood that we lived in, we were in South Augusta. And at the time, there was no library like within walking distance or, you know, mm. there was easy access for me to get to. Because uh, my parents worked, you know, during the day, during the summer. So I, I save up all these books and I go out on the porch and I sit out there and I just read books. And I play a little bit and do a little bit of stuff and I go back and I read books. And my friends would be like, what is wrong with this girl? She's always reading. What are you reading? Show us what you're reading. What is so good? Because we've not read books that make us want to read. And so I started giving them books 
to let them read what I was reading. Mm -hmm. And so what I would do was, if you were late giving me my book back, you lost my book, the book was damaged, you paid me. Wow. (laughs) And so I had like a business going, but it was never... It was never me starting the business because I saw an opportunity to start a business and make money. It was mm-hmm. people didn't like reading books, and I loved reading books. Let me show you how to love reading books. Mm-hmm. And so then opportunity presented itself, and I took advantage of opportunity. Yeah. So it's just like it's always been those types of scenarios where it was never really me setting out to like gain money. Mm-hmm. It was just me figuring out, okay, this is something I love or this is something that I'm good at. How can I make someone else's life better with it? Yeah. And it's funny you said that because you said, I want to see how I can take advantage of the opportunity, not the people. Yeah. And a lot of people do the opposite. Yeah. And that's that's kind of how. So Eleanor and Co. kind of is. And that's it just (laughs) I said (laughs) aha moment. (laughs) But it's funny because that's literally how Eleanor and Co. started. So Eleanor and Co. is just um, it's a design management firm that I have. Mm hmm. And basically, I show creatives how they can use management skills, um, design skills, and create systems for themselves so they can produce work that matters. Yeah. Um, and But not just that matters, but it is aligned with their core values and the, the mission that they feel like is kind of like their call. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's funny because I never, it just clicked to me just then, like how that resonates so deeply with who I am and mm-hmm. what I do. So it's just like, even with that, um, you know, picking out the work that I do and the collaborations that I do with people, I'm always like streamlining and kind of like searching through, you know, what they are and what they're doing in order for me to even decide if I want to work with them. Yeah. Um, and so it's 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 interesting because I I don't know I just like I said I had an aha moment because it was like yeah that, that's kind of like what this is and like <laughs> and I mean I don't know I think that's part of who I deeply rooted who I am. Um, yeah, so. Wow. So, um, I guess the, um, yeah, this was my third question. Cause I'm curious about it. Cause I knew you would answer it thoroughly, which was, do you feel that, and I guess this is the objective aspect of it. And I think it's inevitable because if you do something very well, obviously you're going to gain eyes and interest from other people. And in that way, their thing is, well, if she can do this, maybe I can do the same thing, but I can do it better. When dealing with the competitive nature mm-hmm. of having your own business, how do you go about handling that? Like, does that does that push you forward to make yourself better simply to make yourself better than what you were before? Or do you, or do, you do like some people have the... Um, desire to do which I don't, I don't get that feeling from you like you're doing yeah, something to do I, something better than the next the person thing. I I know it sounds so cliche when people are like I don't have competition I'm competing yeah. with myself <laughs> but I'm not even competing with myself to be honest I feel like so okay I, when I was younger um my parents they always said like Every, everyone has a purpose. Mm-hmm. There's a part of, of God that resides in you that only you can show the world, period. Yeah, I like that. And so at a young age, I tried to identify what my purpose was. And I've always said that my purpose is I exist to protect imaginations. I don't think anybody else in my generation 
is here to do that. I've never heard anybody say that before. <laughs> I, I don't think dope. anybody in my in my generation is here to do that. Now there might be people who came before me or who will come after me, mm-hmm. but but I was born at a particular time at a particular place to do a particular thing, and yeah. that's the thing I'm supposed to do. And so I can't think of any time I've ever felt like I was competing with someone or someone was competing with me or watching me. If anything, I do want people to look at me and be inspired. Yeah. I want them to be able to connect with their own purpose. I want them to be able to see how <clears throat> they can live a life that reflects the things that they truly believe in and know that they can be um, building something that's viable. Because yeah. that's something in our culture that's completely like not thought. Is mm-hmm. that I can be doing something that I absolutely love every day and that's the only thing I'm doing. I can make the money that I need to live a life yeah. that I want to live, right? Um, if anything, I want people to get that from me. And I feel like when you talk about competition, like, I, I just, I'm not, I'm not competing with any, and I don't, and I'm not competing with myself. It, it kind of irks me when people say they're competing with themselves. And I get it though, that they're competing with the, who they were the day before, right? Mm-hmm. I want to be better than that next, that the next day I want to be better than that person. And I get that. You always should be striving to be better. There mm-hmm. should be an ambitious part of you that is passionate enough to, to do better. Um, but at the end of the day, too, I think that if you wake up every morning with a purpose for why you're doing what you're doing, you have goals and things set for that day. Yeah. You accomplish those things. The next day, you move on to the next thing. And it might not be what it was yesterday. So mm-hmm. why are you competing? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like if... If God is intentional as we say he is, and he's as, I don't know, um, systematic and methodical as we believe him to be and we know him to be, like, there's intention in every day. So I don't need to compete with who I was yesterday. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not so much focused on trying to be better than yesterday as I am as trying to accomplish what I need today, if that makes sense. Yeah. Leaving where, leaving that where it is, yeah, leaving and just it focusing where, on where I think you that, are. Because that's where you relieve yourself of the pressure, especially yeah. as a creative. Like, as a creative, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be better, to do better, to create the next, the next best work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's a dangerous thing to do because when you're doing that, you put yourself in a position where you can take on all the criticism, mm-hmm. all the stress, all the worry, and I don't think God intends for us to do any of those things. So why are we doing it to ourselves? Yeah. So it's like, I, I think that in thinking about each day as a separate, like, it's a separate set of things that I'm accomplishing today. Yeah. Like, and that's just, I don't know. It keeps you, <laughs> keeps you free <laughs> of all of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, so. and I guess you intentionally strive to be stress-free. I do. Yeah. I do. Because I know what it's not, what it's like to not be that. Mm-hmm. Like, I can look at, the pe- people that I've grown up with in my life, uh, <clears throat> and I've seen them be extremely creative, be, be stressed out because of whatever things that is going on with their lives, it's like I've never wanted that for myself. And like I said, I don't think God intends for us to be that way. So I'm going to give him all of that, <laughs> yeah. all the worry, all the stuff that comes with the day-to-day stuff, and just focus on why I'm here and what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's something that I've actually, I'm tr- pushing myself to do. And I have to daily tell myself that. It's like, I can't, I can't carry 
what I had yesterday, what I have now, and especially carry something that I know I don't, if I'm not guaranteed to carry in, in period, and right. focusing on a future, present, and past simultaneously, obviously I can't do that because only one person can because right. you have to be omniscient, omniscient to do that. Mm-hmm. And we, like you said, we weren't created to. Mm-mm. We weren't created to do and that. And I think, too, like, as much as people, like, everything on this earth happens in seasons. <clears throat> you can't get around that. Yeah. Like, there are seasons for everything. Um, but one of the things that I think is a benefit to understand is that you, although things operate in seasons and we are to respect that um, and acknowledge that, I think that if you operate in a way where time is, you're not a slave to time, mm-hmm. um, it puts you in a position where you can live a life like that, where you're not always thinking about what happened in the past, mm-hmm. what's going to happen tomorrow. You can think about what's happening right now. And you have control over what's happening right now. I can't control what happened yesterday. I can't yeah. control what's going to happen tomorrow. But I can control what's going to happen today and what's happening right now. So it's like, if you kind of free yourself from that, I feel like you put yourself in a much better position where you can be more happy. You can be more uh, content. Um, Not to the point where, because content holds a negative connotation. So it's like, not content to the point where like you you put yourself in a rut, but Mm -hmm. content to a point where you're not always chasing something else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, And I feel like, there's a whole lot I can say about <laughs> I mean, but but there's like, I don't know. It's it's just, I feel like too with our culture, there's always this thing about like, I'm chasing what's next. And I think that's, that's how the whole competition thing starts, right? It's mm-hmm. like, I'm chasing this, I want that. Oh, I'm competing with that person because they have this that I want or they're going to get there before I do. So let me get there. Yeah. And it's like, but why are you living like like that's that's not what everybody has their own lane, mm-hmm. and they have their own tools to get them through that lane as quickly or as slow like however that process needs to be carried out is however that process needs to be carried out. But just because I feel like just because you get to the finish line first doesn't mean you succeeded. Yeah. Because what if you get to the finish line and you find out that everything you've done. Was nothing you were supposed to do. <laughs> oh, oh wow! Yeah, and that—that's the thing. Is like you're so busy about the finish line, but like, are you taking the steps you need to take? Yeah. Do that first. Like, <laughs> like do that first. You sound like an advisor. Like a, <laughs> I'm not trying to be. An no, but that's. But, but that's just. <laughs> but you see, that's the truth, though. I mean, a lot of a lot of advisors um, are intent about informing, like college students i see you want to graduate yeah. but what are you going to do in between this are these class your yeah. are these class that you you really should take or and i know you don't want to i don't want you to waste your time you need to take something that's going to get you to the next level and yes graduating is the ultimate goal but what's going to be beyond right. graduation you right. know what's going to be on that so taking the time to um make sure that was like the most profound statement I've heard anybody's protector of imaginations because some people push, just push you along. Like yeah. you have, just go. And then you have people that pull you, that try to take advantage of you. Yeah. Like, I like what you have. 
let's monetize and let's make some money. But you are like, I like you have something that's specifically for you and that's going to be distributed from you. I'm put here to help you maintain that yep. and basically keep all this away so that you can go on your way. And once you get to a certain point, then you're good. But I'm here to protect what you have. I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. Right. And that's the that's perspective yeah. I get from you. And that's, I, th- I wish everyone had that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I think, too, that what keeps people from operating that way is because they feel like they might miss out on something. Yeah. It, it's, you might miss an opportunity or you might, because I can tell you about tons of people that I've worked with in the past who have going on they making six seven figures now and it's like if you would have did this people who know i've worked with them are like if you mm-hmm. would have did this that would be and i'm like but that's not that's not what was meant for me to do like that's not my claim to fame like yeah. i i'm not attached to that person that, that way we were working on one thing in a season they got what they needed from me to help them move forward mm-hmm. and it's like if people just realize that if you operate like that where you're giving more than you're trying to take, you get way more out of life that way. So I was listening to a podcast interview with Tisha Campbell and Tashina Arnold. They played uh, Gina and Pam on the 90s sitcom Martin. Uh, best friends on the show and best friends in real life. Um, they expressed that they were in a position of service that they were more concerned about giving people the opportunity to laugh opposed to trying to take something from them. Like, you know, the uh, the recipient end of fame and likes and, and approval and ratings. And that's the feel that I get from listening to Latasha is that she's more concerned about the people than the product. And I think that's something that we can all relate to. And something, if not, that's something we could start practicing because that's the goal is to help others. So continue to listen. Episode 46 of The Glory in Our Stories with the awesome Latasha Lewis. Now have you, let me ask you, have you gotten to the point where you're comfortable more now saying no to certain oh, yeah. things that you just know that oh, more? Yeah. yeah, I help you. Um, so like my, probably my mid twenties is when I got comfortable with, I'm telling my age, <laughs> um, my mid twenties is when I got comfortable with no. Um, but that's something that had to happen to protect my own, like everything. Like one of the things I was telling you about earlier. So like when I take on new clients, right. For my design firm, um, I'm really strict about how I take on new clients. So people refer me all the time. I don't have a website. I've never mm-hmm. had a website. I've never posted a portfolio or anything like that. I don't believe in that. Yeah. I've, I believe that there are divine relationships that are supposed to happen throughout my lifetime and those mm. people will find me. Yeah. They will. And so the way that it's worked is that people who have either worked with me in the past or people that know me um, or know my work, they refer people. Mm-hmm. When people get referred to me, I, they come to me and it might be somebody who's willing to pay a couple thousand dollars or a couple hundred dollars and I have nothing at all. I don't know. But they all get the same process. It's you fill out this questionnaire. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go through this questionnaire. I do my due diligence, you know, look at everything and see if you're somebody that I want to work with. Mm-hmm. And I have no problem doing that because it prote- it protects my energy, protects my time, which I extremely value. Yeah. Um, I can't just because someone's going to pay me. You know, X amount of dollars, all money isn't good money. Like, yeah, I, I don't true. want it all. 
So it's like I need to protect my space, my energy, um, and know that I can commit to someone 100% to produce what's needed for them to go take the next step. Yeah. And so it's not like maybe in my younger years it was harder to say no, but I, I honestly don't remember a time where it really was. Like I've <laughs> probably been the person who was always like, nah. Yeah. Nah. Like not no, nah. Yeah. <laughs> nah, nah. Wow. So, but I mean, you just... Well, when you grow up a certain way and you see certain things, you learn that you don't have a whole lot of time to play with. Yeah. And and so you just have to make really decisive decisions. And, it, you know, if it's not the, um, you know, and this is, I, I kind of, I credit my father for this because mm-hmm. my dad, he won't ever apologize or say he's sorry or anything like that. <laughs> But if he know he doing something wrong or he did something wrong, he's quick to correct. Yeah. And I think I learned that from him very early is that if I make a mistake and do something, I can fix it. There's time to fix it, but it's in identifying it and being real with yourself and say, okay, that's not right. Yeah. I need to fix this. And then fixing it and then moving forward. So it's like, I don't have a problem saying no because once I say no, if I feel like later on down the road, I would have said no in a way that wasn't, you know, like, but I don't feel like I've ever gone back on my nose. I've I've always done the due diligence to, to make a, a firm no. <laughs> yeah. But if I if I ever had said no and I felt like it should have been a yes, mm-hmm. um, I feel like I could identify it quickly enough to backtrack to make the right decision. Yeah. Like, and I can see that in other ways in my life, not necessarily in that particular way, but like. I, yeah, I don't have a problem saying no. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to uh, be afraid to say no because I had people near me that would say, man, you missed out on the, you know, some people would say you missed out on opportunity. Yeah. Um, but the older I got, the more I realized, uh, well, the more experienced I got. I would say that um, I would see something. But it's one thing that my mom told me when it came to meeting people. He said, your spirits meet before you do. Mm-hmm. So that gut feeling you feel, that's, that I believe, full-hearted, that's spiritual. There have been decisions that I was about to make. But I, said, I just don't feel okay about this. Yeah. And when that happens, it's easy for me to say no. Because then I learned that it, that was probably one of the best decisions I ever yeah. made. And it leaves room to make even better ones. Because you're like, if this, if I said no to this, then this, this has to be good. <laughs> yeah, it has to be a lot better. And that's the thing too is that um, when you when you're in a position and you don't feel like that, I, this is a a sound yes. I feel like when people don't give you the opportunity to to take the time to make the decision, that's yeah. always a time teller too. Because yeah. I've been in positions where I it wasn't an immediate no, but it was like let me think about this. Yeah. And then let me think about this. People become anxious, and you know. Yeah. Like, Anytime someone becomes anxious about stuff, it's like, yeah, that's definitely not for me to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, working in those types of environments where people are so anxious, it's like, yeah, this is not going to, something about this is not going to do what it needs to do um, or it's going to be sped up. And that's the thing, too. Like, when I talked about seasons, like, see, seasons means that when you plant something, it takes a certain amount of time for it to grow. And unfortunately, we live in a world where people want, to plant something and then the next day they walk outside and 
it's whatever. Yeah. And that's not how things work. So when I feel like people come to you and there's that anxiety, it's like, yeah, nine times out of ten, when if I say yes and we get into the process of this, it's going to be rushed along and it's not going to get the attention and care that it needs. Yeah. So I'm probably going to tell you no. <laughs> so like don't ever be anxious with me because i'm definitely going to tell you now yeah yeah so i'm pretty sure you don't mind telling your son no um because that's yeah, you know what he doesn't ask for a whole lot like very very seldomly has he ever asked for anything so it's a little <laughs> bit different with him because yeah. when he asks i know that it's actually like and this is the thing about him too so he he is a thinker mm-hmm. and he will think things through before he asked. I'm totally <laughs> I was totally So I know that he's not asking because it's like one of those, um, like, I don't know, like. Like impulsive. Yeah, like it's like an, an impulse kind of thing. Yeah. He's asking because he started through. He knows he either needs this or really wants this. So nine times out of ten, I'm going to tell him yes. Yeah. I can very, sel- like, very seldomly have I ever told him no. Really? Mm. Yeah. He, he thinks things. <laughs> He'll have a whole plan for you. <laughs> um, and that's and we um that's funny because when I was younger, I told people when I was younger I would do once and think ten times. Yeah. Opposed to thinking ten times and do once. And whenever I would ask my mom for certain things, she would say no. So I just stopped asking her. Uh, so she was like, "How would you know?" Because I and I was hesitant. She was like, "Well, if you don't ask me, then you won't. You don't know." know. And then I would ask her, and then she'd say no. <laughs> like, but why? But you you know now, don't you? Say yes or right, do. Right, right, right. It's better to know than to wonder. Um, going back, you said something about utilizing every moment, um, every second that you have. You like you don't have time to waste. No, I don't. That was um, a uh, speech that, of all people, Arnold Schwarzenegger gave at this point in his life, <laughs> and it was the most profound speech I've ever heard in my life. Like he was, he was, um, he was talking about what he did to lead him up to where he is now mm-hmm. and the rigorous work he put in like he put in work he said i wanted to be uh the best bodybuilder so this is what i did i wanted to be an actor so this is what i did i wanted to be a leading an actor with a leading role this is what i did yeah and i wanted to be governor and this is what i did and he said everybody has 24 hours in a day you can do all the same thing yeah how do you plan on using it he used to work out maybe almost six hours a day, go to work at a construction because he needed supplements. And he said bodybuilding wasn't paying, so he had to pay for his supplements. Yeah. And he went to acting classes, <laughs> and he said, this is where I am. Yeah. But it doesn't go without its struggles. Right. And uh, one thing I did want to ask you was, what certain hiccups have you experienced up until this point? Hiccups. I got whole. <laughs> that's that's a lot of different stories. Uh, so let's see. Um, well, we can start with my son. I yeah. mean, I I don't look at him as a hiccup, but people yeah. would say that 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 was it was unplanned. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not how I saw my life to go. So when I was sixteen, I gave birth to my son, um, and that was definitely one of those moments where it was like, okay, this was not expected. Mm-hmm. This is not planned. This is not how I saw my life going. Um, what can I do? And it's one of those moments. What can I do to fix, correct this? Yeah. Um, so, like, I think a lot of people, when they look at my life, uh, they might definitely say, like, you beat statistics and all this kind of stuff. But I, I don't look at it that way. Like, 
again, like what happens in one moment in time does not affect anything else going forward. Like yeah. it's just a, it's a thing that happened, and you can always pivot and go in whatever direction you choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, even with having him, like I, I'm so thankful that I have a supportive family that I have um, because they helped, you know, make sure that everything with him was taken care of so that I could pursue what I wanted to pursue. So I still went off to college, still got the degree. Like I yeah. was still able to function and do the things that I felt like I was supposed to do. Um, but I also got to be a mommy. Like, yeah. and I love, like I would never take that away. Like I absolutely love being a mother. Um, and then I think too, I probably would get backlash for saying this. So <laughs> I get backlash for saying this. But I don't think that. So one of the things about me too is that a lot of times people write, look at my life and say, okay, you were a mom and you went and did all these other things too. Because, like, there's been times where my, my son, um, when I was in college or in undergraduate school, he lived with my parents for two years mm-hmm. um, and while I was finishing up school. And then he came to live with me. And some people might look at that and be like, well, you know, I don't know if I could let my child come. But, like, I saw him just about every weekend. Like, we talked on the phone. That kind of thing. FaceTime didn't exist at the time, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but... We still maintain that relationship, and I always was upfront and honest with him about what mom was doing, what mom, yeah. what mom was pursuing, not just for herself but for us. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think that um, a lot of times when women do have children, they feel like their life is supposed to revolve around their children, mm-hmm. um, and I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, I think that. You're giving children um, in order to, you know, raise them and be a parent, uh, but your life doesn't stop there. Yeah. Like, it's supposed to go beyond that. Um, and so I've always tried to maintain a nice balance between fulfilling my own dreams and raising my child. And I think that in doing so, because I had a conversation with him not too long ago, and I think in doing so, um, he sees how, you know, Anything that can be perceived as an obstacle can also be perceived as something that raises you up to the next level. Yeah. Um, and so I think it makes him more driven, more ambitious, more understanding of how purposeful his life is um, and how, you know, you make a mistake or, you know, something happens, you can always move forward. Yeah. And I think it's important, especially mothers who are in positions that like I was where you're a teen mother, it's important for your children to see that. Um, because they need to know that they're not a mistake. They're not something that kept you from XYZ. Yeah. You know? And so <clears throat> I I can say that he never had that perception of himself as I was something that hindered my mom from doing whatever. Mm-hmm. Um I think too, like other hiccups would be uh Okay, uh, so I I worked hard to get what I thought was going to be my dream job. Mm-hmm. Um, I so for undergraduate school I got a degree in apparel textile engineering, um, and I was working with fashion, particularly product development. Mm-hmm. And so dream job for me was go work at a work work under a designer and uh, work as a technical designer. So basically what that is, is like designer comes to you and says, okay, I want to create this collection of goods. And so you take their drawings and their inspiration and you translate that into um, basically drawings that an engineer and a manufacturer can understand so they can produce the garment. 
Okay. Um, and so I was, that's what I, I wanted to do. It was a great combination of the logical, practical side of me and the creative side of me. It got, mm-hmm. you know, opportunity to do that. But then I got there and I realized that, um, you know, I was working with the creatives and with like sales and marketing and stuff. But then I was also exposed to the, like, the actual production manufacturing floor. Mm-hmm. And so I built like great relationships with these people who were sewers and mechanics and engineers. And what I realized about myself was I was more in love with people than I was with this job. Yeah. And so um, as things progressed, I realized like, okay, um, you know, I, I want to be doing something different. And that was kind of, it was a little difficult to come to terms with, with that this wasn't the, like, I loved what I was doing. I loved the work I was doing, but it wasn't enough. Yeah. It didn't feel like it was making the impact that I knew I could make in people's lives. Yeah. And so um, ultimately I ended up leaving that job, but it was like I had moved away, like <laughs> away from family, everything to pursue this. And so it was kind of like a hit, like a, a kind of like a hiccup because it was just like, I thought this was really what I want to do. And it's not. And I've spent all these years working towards this job and it's not what I want to be doing. Um and I don't get me wrong, I loved the people that I was working with. I loved the job I was doing. The company kind of sucked, but those <laughs> were for ethical issues. Yeah. Um, but it was just like, yeah, I, I love people and serving people more than this. And I, I just, it didn't feel right. Um, so that was definitely a hiccup because a part of me felt like I wasted some of my time. And I, I truly value time. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I pursued this degree, and I did all of this stuff, and I went and worked these internships and all this stuff, and I'm here doing the job that I thought I wanted to do, and I don't want to do it. Um, so that was difficult. Uh, other hiccups? <laughs> <laughs> I could probably give you a million, but I can't think of any right now. So so uh, what current challenges have you faced in reference to um, doing what you're doing now? Like, go ahead and... Well, I guess I would ask you this. Do you think, like, and I always ask, I like asking people this because it's social media is like the engine that everybody's using now. What do you think are some, or what do you know? Because I know you have experience in this pros and cons that you find with this, like any negative experiences using social media, like it has a negative effect on your business or the positive um, okay. effects so, that it has. The thing about my business is it's so connected to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've learned for myself in social media is that I have to find a balance. Mm-hmm. And I've yet to find that balance, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, I really haven't found it yet. When I think about, I think social media can really help a business to really thrive and to reach tons of people. Um, but like I said, because mine is so connected to who I am, and I'm such a private person, yeah. it's hard for me to put myself out there in that way. Um, I did it in the past. Like, I had an Instagram, and I posted on the Instagram. And I have an Instagram now, but I don't post. I, I use the stories more so than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I... Even when I was posting then, I was so... It, I don't... I don't want it to be perceived wrong. So, like, when I would post a thing, right, a lot of times I would delete the thing, right? And mm-hmm. especially if I was sharing, like, thoughts or, like, um, ideas or things like that. Yeah. And it was because I felt like 
it wasn't, it's so odd because I didn't feel like I was being judged or anything. I think if anything, I was doing it, I was taking it away because I didn't want to be put on a pedestal, if that makes sense. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like, it's, it's hard, to, <laughs> but, but okay. So like what I realized about myself is I can give 50% of like me, 50% of like effort energy to a thing Mm -hmm. and people will like be like oh this is the greatest thing since sliced bread and i'm like (laughs) yo this is not the greatest thing since sliced bread (laughs) delete delete yeah but what i realized is that i the the reason for that is that i don't want i have to find the balance of understanding how i can allow people the opportunity to see god in me but not Place me like a guy. Yeah, that I see what you're saying. Yeah, and I I feel so uncomfortable with that that line of things. Like I I don't ever want to be because I see it happen to people, and not mm-hmm. to say in any way that I think I'm gonna be like you know whatever. But yeah. it's just like I don't even want any ounce of that. Like I don't ever want to be idolized by anyone in any kind of way. Mm-hmm. And so like sometimes. People not idolizing you as a person, but they can idolize like your ideas and stuff. Like yeah. when people say like I'm a genius, to me I cringe. I don't want to be a genius like that because the things that are inspiring me and giving me the influence that I need they come from God, not from me. Yeah. And I I I work so hard to disconnect myself from that because again it goes back to that whole thing about how creatives stress themselves out and they become you know boggled down with what's the next best thing I can produce. So mm-hmm. I always try to keep myself disconnected from my work in that regard because I don't want to, I don't want that weight. I don't want that stress. Yeah. But so people are so quick to put that on you because they're like, oh, you're so great. You're so brilliant. You're so genius. You're so creative. You're so this, you're so that. And it's like, I don't want any of that. So a lot of times with social media for me, it's like, I want to expose these things and get people to think in new ways and inspire you know what they're creating and give them a, a, a ounce of God that they wouldn't get from anywhere else. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, <laughs> I want to protect myself, yeah. like in my energy, in my space, in my mental and emotional and spiritual health. So I don't know. I, I still haven't found that how to how to do that yet. Uh, in a lot of a lot of ways, I I feel like I can. Like I've created. Um, a couple pages. I'm not gonna say what they are, but I've created a couple pages where I post content. Mm-hmm. No one knows that the content is my content. Yeah, and that kind of frees me from it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just like I don't want none of that. Like I, I would love if if I could navigate my entire career as a person behind the scenes that no one ever knew and could put a face to. I would do that. Like that would be ideal mm. for me. I'm. Have you heard of uh, Banksy? <laughs> Banksy, no. The painter from up north. I think he was yeah, up north. Yeah, I have. It's a couple of people like that. who there. So I know a couple of people that I follow on like Instagram and just know personally, like in real life, mm-hmm. who who do that. Who And that's kind of where I got the idea of like, I can make some Instagram accounts. I can post stuff. It's totally disconnected from me. Yeah. People can like it and whatever they do with it, but I don't feel any connection to that. Mm-hmm. Like, it kind of protects me in a certain way. And it's like, people don't understand how emotionally mentally spiritually those like likes and loves can make an impact on you yeah like they really can you can start looking for that gratification 
And I don't ever want to do that. <laughs> like, I don't ever want to post something and be like, how many people liked it? Did anybody look at it? How many How many people viewed it? Like, what? Like, yeah. I don't want to be driven by that. And I think yeah. that that's what can happen so easily. And you not even be conscious of it. Is that you're producing stuff and you're looking for people to like it and love it and share it. And, mm-hmm. and I just, I if I can figure out a way to completely disconnect myself from that and share everything that I want to produce, like, I would be putting, pushing out content daily. Yeah. But because I haven't found that that lane that I'm comfortable in, I, I, I don't know, I struggle with that. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I struggle with, well, I I always felt compelled to to write, from especially from my experience, and yeah. not being afraid to. And the reason being is because my thing is, is it's, it's who I am. But I know I'm not the only person that experiences this. Yeah. And especially coming from a black male who's open to that. I want to be able to be able to remind other men it's okay to be vulnerable. Yeah. It's okay to be open and it cuz it's not a sign of weakness. Um but I was um I think I had a point. I forgot what it was. I think it was in reference to um being candid. But I I knew that I like case in point. I love back in high school I used to love I loved rapping. Okay. Because I was into Mace. And I liked Mace's persona. Because mm-hmm. he was just so smooth. Yeah, he was. But it was just a surface level. So as I started listening to what he was saying, I'm like, he's not talking about anything but money and women. <laughs> That's not my life. It has nothing to do with me. So I have to listen to something that reaches me. And so I started listening to like Neo Soul Rap. And okay. they were more introspective. So I'm like, That's how I like, That's how I speak. So I can get into that. So whenever I record a song, for a while I was like, I wonder how many people heard it. But then again, I was like, I really don't want to know because if people hear it, then I got to be worried about if they like it or not and worried about their comments. Yeah. But just being able to just release due to inspiration and just leave it alone. One thing that I realized, like Banksy, whenever he released his work, people, because he would do what he does at night, people come out and like, oh, wow, Banksy's work. These people having these like crowds of people, and I'm like, I wonder if he sees all this because they were saying some crazy stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, I be- I bet you he's laughing because there's so many different opinions, mm-hmm. ideas, and he's like, yo, I didn't even mean it. I just did art. Like I'm, I don't care about this. Yeah. So yeah. like being, I'm, I fully understand <laughs> that. It's yeah, so tough. Happen. Like I, I don't know. I, I'm always like. I'm always conscious of it, and I'm always just trying to, like, how can I... And the thing about it is that, as of recently, I felt a real conviction about it, like, mm-hmm. not putting out stuff. Um, and so I'm, like, working myself to get to the point where I can this year, like, really do that, like, actively, mm-hmm. putting things out and consistently doing it. Um, but, yeah, it's just... It's one of those... T- like, you... I don't know. It, it it's almost like one of those things where it could become a fear, but I I don't want to allow it to become a fear because the fear is the thing that you draw to you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like I, I need to just do it, and I'm gonna get to a point where I can just do it. I am, but it's just not today. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, in relation to to sum all that up, I guess I ask you. A last question, okay. which I, I obviously enjoy asking. So, what would you say is the glory in your story? Uh, I think 
I think the glory in my story is I think <laughs> it it's I don't okay, so for me I feel like the glory in my story would be that because of the way that I see the world, I don't feel like God has ever left me. Yeah. Yeah. Um and I think that's important because I don't know how to explain it. It's funny you said you felt as if you were placed here yeah. to protect other people's imagination. And it sounds like he's been protecting yours this yeah. entire time. Yeah, that's the thing. That like that's I like I I don't feel like he's ever my I've been through some crazy stuff in my life. <laughs> but I feel like my perspective has always been protected. Yeah. Like I've always I've always been able to see things for what they are. Yeah. Um, and not allow it to deter me from what I need to become. Yeah. Um, definitely had my ups and downs, definitely had my trials and tribulations, but I don't I don't feel like God has ever left me. And I think that is the definite glory of my story because I know people who have felt alone, mm-hmm. right, or um, abandoned or forsaken, but I've never felt that. And I would love to let other people experience. I always just feel like God is right there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because a lot of people that have decided to leave, um, for lack of better terms, they yeah. felt like he was. they were alone. And they've had people that were so close and dear to them, but they still feel isolated. Yeah. And if they, if somehow they were fully convinced of that, that whole situation, whatever it was, would have changed. Yeah. And I spoke about this maybe once or twice, but I had a friend who a couple of years ago, I knew she was, I knew life was really weighing on her because mm-hmm. of some of the things she was saying, but I wasn't paying attention. And I felt bad at first, but people had to constantly remind me, say, hey, you can't, you can't blame this on you. Because she too had, it's funny, she had a son, single parent, loved him to death, mm-hmm. was doing everything she can to make sure he had the best future he could have. Very smart, intelligent, one of the best writers I've known in my life. Um, but she felt alone. So she decided that maybe it's best that I'm not here. Yeah. So, and I always give much credit to you all as moms. Because mom, y'all have a way of making a lot of things look easy. Because there's a lot of things we <laughs> yeah. don't see as kids. Yeah. Um, but there are some things that we have paid attention to that you all probably think that we didn't. Right. But there's a lot of things. There's a lot of prayer that goes down behind closed doors. A lot of crying. A lot of shifting around mm-hmm. to get this that's in front of us. But... That's one thing that I learned from my mom was that I've seen obvious obstacles in her life, but it was like, you know what? I'm going to use this as a step. And she kept going. So if you all had stopped, that would have completely affected us. Because we're like, if my mom can do this, (laughs) if my mom can do this, I know I can. Yeah. So, um, and that's one thing that she says um, excessively is she knows that she's not alone yeah. and knowing that he 
did everything he could with her and seeing that like like God was protecting you so that you can protect others and primarily focusing on people opposed to the product you know and and I think a lot of us miss out on that is developing those relationships I always I love quoting Miles Monroe when he said um man and because it gives me chills thinking about it because he well he was so powfull yeah, and absolutely. <laughs> and it, man like for somebody to be working in their purpose like that and for God to say you know it's time to come home like that was oh that was so crazy but one thing he did say was to say before we leave before you leave as far as defining your legacy do not invest in monuments don't invest in anything materialistic invest in people yeah invest and that's what you do you invest in people and um i i see that and um relationships are very important to you and within that it just it's just created something um he's like now is this is a service and that's and that's one of the things i'm being reminded we're put here to serve right and um so but is um is that you have anything coming up that you want people to know about or I'm gonna well let's see uh, I'll be releasing um, a line of greeting cards uh, called organic convo starters for Valentine's Day okay um, so that'll be coming out soon um, I will definitely be um, relaunching the uh, design management firm mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna make um, some things a little bit more visible um, so that the what I'm doing with that, um, and by that I mean um, I'm going to be launching what's called CC um, CC meetings. So it's a uh, it's Creative Core, and Core uh, stands for the CO, and Core stands for Community. The RE stands for Restoration. So it's Creative Community Restoration. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is to hold a, like support group meetings, like an AA meeting, but it's a CC yeah. meeting. Uh, for creatives so that you can kind of have an opportunity to um, discuss what's going on with your mental, emotional, spiritual health. Yeah. um, And have like a group of people who can relate to you to talk through those issues. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the biggest things um, that I've been impacted by, (laughs) impacted by in the last couple of years is um, a lot of issues with friends um, taking their lives at their own hands. Yeah. Um, um, due to you know stress, worry, that kind of thing, um, but typically most of them are creatives, um, and just got overwhelmed with mm-hmm. life, and not having people to help them process those emotions and feelings and things, and so um, I'm going to be starting a group. We'll meet uh, at least once a month, and sit down and just have a big circle and, and talk and work through some of those issues and have an opportunity for you to have. An experience where you can see that you can relate to other people and that you're not alone. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm working on. Um, and then um, probably before the end of the month, um, I'll be watching um, a new series on Instagram. And it's called <laughs> Why I Didn't Text You Back. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, just a funny page with tons of illustrations and uh, like motion graphics stuff that I've been trying to teach myself mm-hmm. um, and uh, it'll be all the reasons why you don't text people back so just something fun and chill um, yeah. and kind of laid back so that is launching at the end of the month um, so. so 
Well, uh, thank you, Latasha, for your time. Thank you for having me. And because um, I've, I've been wanting you, one of the many people I've been wanting to sit down and dissect and see. <laughs> you're not dissect. <that> <laughs> yes, man. Like this, you all are some amazing people, man. And I'm like, I would love to know what led up to this. Yeah. Well, what led up to who you are now? Um, I'm always intrigued by origin stories because you're like, wow, that explains why this yeah, happened. Oh, that explains yeah. why that happened. And because even in doing this, I'm thinking about myself. And I'm like, wow, that did that did come from there. And something <laughs> I didn't even think about before. But yeah, it's, it's thank you all for tuning in to the latest episode of the Glory in Our Stories, episode 46, with Latasha Lewis. <laughs>